Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. My name is Robert from Chisco. I'm David. George. Paul. I'm Frank. My name is Ray. Peter. My name is Jeff. I'm Jerry. My name is Roy. I'm Richard. I'm Jim. Jay. Anne. I'm Hal. I'm Amos. My name is Oswaldo. My name is Michael. My name is David. Thank you. Uh, welcome, Anne. Is new? anyone else new to me? So now I will introduce Jala Naka, who is um, uh, Genji. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it in Scottish. Gengetsu Jinsei. Dharma transmission in the Soto Zen Buddhist lineage from Zenke Blanche Martin, Jana's nonprofit organization, Jana Dropping Community Services, provides a wide range of services, including support groups, workshops, classes, and talks. Jana's community work is based in harm reduction principles, a way to meet everyone with complete acceptance and allows for a client-centered modality. There are three meditation groups each week in San Francisco, which are free and open to everyone. For details and contact info, you can visit janodrapa.com. Uh, John travels widely to teach harm reduction meditation in universities, churches, shelters, and Zen centers. Counseling and retreats are always available upon request. Thank you. <laughs> Sounded just like a commercial. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's just wonderful to be back with you all again. Um, I always so much enjoy coming and being with all my brothers. It's just wonderful. And uh, if I look a bit tired, it's because I got here on Friday and I spoke Friday night and I spoke Saturday afternoon and I'm speaking today, so... Um, luckily, as you know, it's not actually me. There's just some words come out of this mouth, so we don't have to worry about papers and reading it and all that kind of thing. Um, Friday night, I spoke at the uh, San Francisco Bay Area Sex Worker Festival and did stand-up comedy. And it's a great festival running all week. I can highly recommend it. You can find it online. SFBayAreaSexWorkerFest.com And then yesterday I was doing stand-up comedy again for Wonder Dog Rescue up at Wildside West, which used to be a very wonderful um, home base kind of place. But it, uh, the owner died recently, Pat died a couple of years ago. And so I was doing stand-up comedy, basically facing a pool table with people lounging on it. And then the rest of the audience was lounging on the bar, and then back there was most of the crowd who were neighborhood people, not the crowd that used to be there, said she, trying to use right speech. And they were all watching football on television. <laughs> so it was kind of challenging, you know, when half of your audience is watching a football game, you know. Mm. And in fact, Friday night was interesting because the lights weren't working. So there you are up there on stage. <laughs> there was a few lights above, but there was no actual front light. 
So you find yourself talking like that. <laughs> and all they can see is the top of your head. So this has good omens to be a good talk. Because you know, we can see each other. So um, I think most of you know that in a nutshell, last summer I lost my funding, ended up leaving the city where I've been living for 25 years. I now live in a small Zen retreat center up in the mountains. Um, they say it's in Los Gatos, but it's not actually in anywhere. It's um, just three or four hundred acres of um, deer and coyote and things like that. And I have a very important job there. I am the chicken master. <laughs> I look after the chickens, and at the moment I'm raising four little chicks. And I think actually we can learn a lot from chickens. Um, there was a group there last weekend who were Coben Chino, if you know who Coben is. My lineage is Suzuki Roshi. Suzuki Roshi came in 1959, brought Coben Chino over from Japan to help him make Tassajara Monastery. So Coben Chino's people were there last weekend, and they were wonderful. And I met my twin sister, who's a Catholic nun, who is amazing, wearing the full wimple and everything, and her Buddhist priest robe on top of it. She always looked very red in the face. She also raises the chickens over there. So we were thinking how much chickens can actually teach us about life, you know. And as you know, I work a lot. I still come in every couple of weeks to work with um, low-income people, mainly. And I thought, a thought arose, strangely enough, while we were sitting there for that half hour. A thought, there was one thought arose. <laughs> and it was, if only we could treat our homeless population like we treat the chickens. You know, you have to legally have a warmish, dry, sheltered place for them to sleep at night and give them healthy food and clean water. So, don't know why that thought just occurred to me. If only we could treat our poor people like we treat our chickens. I do have a plan, a dream in mind to have an urban retreat centre uh, which would be a large garden, place for people to come. The meditation groups that my students are now running that are open to everyone and free um, are all in a large garden. And it just makes such a difference to people. Most of the people you see on the streets are not actually homeless. They live in a place such as they offered me when I, my health went last summer. Oh, well, then you should become homeless. Then you go in a shelter. And I'm like, then you go in an SRO hotel if you're lucky, you know. But there's no garden, there's no kitchen, there's no dining room. So when folks come to the garden to meditate, it's just wonderful. So I'm just throwing that out there as an idea. I never did get much in the way of donations. I always thought I should have made one of those commercials like we have for homeless cats and dogs, <laughs> except have a homeless person, you know. Because I can't watch those commercials. I'm sure that you're the same. That dog comes and the dog's looking at you. <laughs> Why don't they feed me? You know, imagine having a homeless person. Why don't they feed me? Anyway. You never know what's going to happen. at Christmas. So if I start talking about sex clubs in Amsterdam... Please remind me, it's not the Sex Workers Festival. We're actually <laughs> trying to talk about the Dharma. So, um, as you know, probably uh, I work at Maitri Hospice work. I go there when I'm in town. And, and some of my students volunteer there, and they're always looking for volunteers. It's a happy place because... Thankfully, um, most of the AIDS crisis, at least, is going down a bit. So a lot of people who go there are actually there for respite care. And so they go in and get wonderful food and treated like kings and queens for you know a few months, and then they go home again. So it's a really, really great place. And I just did the big fundraiser for them a couple of weeks ago. 
And I have a group called uh, Jana Draka and Isan's Monks, because Isan Dorsey, if you don't know who Isan Dorsey was, you don't know your own history. He was basically, long story short, a drag queen who became a Dharma ancestor, a Zen Buddhist priest like me. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here. So Tuesday night I'm going to do a memorial for the people who have passed at my tree. I do them every few months. And I thought you might like to hear the dedication, and I'll do it to Isan, but I want you to know that it's to all of you. In these rare, precious moments we get to spend together. Um, and as you've heard me talk before, you probably know that I know that you're all perfect anyway and wish that you all knew that too. And I think of it as the Isan Dorsey effect. You know, Isan, no one in a million years would have said, oh, Isan was perfect. He drank, he had fights, he, you know. But in the end, he started something. He started Maitri Hospice that has helped people for years. And you could connect with him. I used to hang out in Marlena's bar, which is now also gone. Um, it was a refuge from the Zen Centre. I could run up the road and be with my people. <laughs> and all the guys in there had heard of Isan. Oh, he would do anything for you. And when it comes right down to it, it's all our little cracks and funny little bits that make us perfect, that make us unique. So um, I think of it as the Isan Dorsey effect. Nobody wants to be a Ken doll or a Barbie doll. So don't think of your, your meditation or your practice, your way in life as a way of making you perfect because you already are. You're just kind of uncovering that. So here's the dedication. And um, remind me, I did want to talk a little bit about the Heart Sutra. I'd had a request for that too. But I thought you might enjoy this. And remember when you're listening to a Dharma talk, try not to go into the intellect. Everything you're thinking about what's coming out of this mouth is getting in the way of you actually hearing it and just bringing it straight in. So try not to think about it. Nothing I say is worth thinking about, honestly. <laughs> the Immaculate Light reaches everywhere, leaving no place unilluminated. In tranquility, embracing all emptiness. Returning from oneness into the world of discrimination, the affairs of the mundane world are seen as but a dream. Friends, we gather to pay tribute to our beloved Isan Darcy and to everyone in this room and to everyone you know and they know and they know. Isan Darcy was the precious dragon jewel whose simple acts of kindness gave rise to Maitri, caring for all without discrimination. A true Dharma treasure for everyone. We offer all our energies and all that are in this room to all beings, to life <coughs> everywhere without limit. May the light of Isan's compassion, clear and complete as the blue sky, shine on, illuminating the way forward for us all. So don't ever forget the enormous power of a simple act of kindness. You know, I was very touched when I came in here and... It, to realize that people had remembered what a terrible memory I have. And just people coming up and saying, you know, hello, my name's Fred, knowing that I've met you many times before, that little touch of kindness just, you know, it's those kind of little things that make life really, really worth living. So, um, the Heart Sutra. I mentioned a while back, I don't know, maybe when we were on retreat, wasn't that a wonderful retreat? Who was on that retreat at Vashon uh, Park? Wasn't that great? We have to do that again. Um, I think it was then maybe I mentioned something about the Heart Sutra and said that it contained all the teachings that we needed to know. 
and had you done any classes in it, and I think mostly people hadn't really heard of it much. Has anybody had a look at the Heart Sutra at all? Yeah, just a few. So when I started up in um, studying Zen Buddhism, somebody told me that all the teachings that you could possibly want are all contained in that one sutra. And it's only a page long, the way it's translated, although it's a shortened form of the sutra in 8,000 lines. So when I started studying, someone said, all you need to do is memorise that sutra in 8,000 lines and you'll have everything. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I can't even memorise addresses. I've had a... I, recently, in the last few years, the doctor thought I was actually going into dementia. And it turned out that, actually, I've had this my whole life. It's called synesthesia. I hear colours, I see sounds, um, like I'm very highly sensitive to things. But it does make everyday life challenging. And yes, I can't remember hardly anything. So I never did get round to memorising the 8,000 lines. <laughs> Sorry. But what I did find out a few years ago, which was really helpful for study, was that all the teaching in a sutra is contained in the first paragraph. So that really cuts it down a bit. <laughs> all you have to do is read the first paragraph of any of them, and you'll actually find in there the whole teaching. And the rest of the sutra is kind of unpacking it and explaining it and giving you examples and all the rest of it. Um, but actually the teaching's just in that first paragraph. So I do want to leave plenty of time for talking. However, so the very first paragraph of the Heart Sutra is Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva when practicing deeply the Prajna Paramita clearly saw that all five skandhas in their own being are empty and thus relieved all suffering. Now isn't that like the essence of perhaps why you're interested in Buddhism because that's what was being taught, relieving suffering. So there you have it right in those few lines. In fact you can even shorten it down to perceive that all five skandhas in their own being are empty and thus relieved all suffering. So if you just shorten it to that bit. Who's seen George Carlin? Who knows George Carlin? Have you seen that bit where he shortens the um, Ten Commandments into one? Have you seen? Oh, oh, I highly recommend that one on YouTube. He gets the Ten Commandments and brings it down to one and then gets rid of that one. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> so much harm has been done by religion. It's terrible. Isn't it? My God's right and I'm going to kill you to prove it. Ah. So you can actually bring it down to all five skandhas in their own being are empty. And thus you can relieve all your suffering. Okay, so let's move on to some poetry. <laughs> so what are the five skandhas? Well, as you know, I know not everybody practices zazen, which is a Japanese word which means just sitting. But basically, it's kind of handy, and I've taught it to many different kinds of folks, and it doesn't have to be religious or anything but it does relieve all suffering. So um, I've taught it, as you know, in shelters and, and all over the place. And so it's basically developing the ability to stay right here. And then you might say, well, that's silly, I am right here. You know, oh, are you? Ha-ha. <laughs> um, the five skandhas are form, or the five aggregates is another word for them, and that's a Scottish pronunciation, aggregates. Um, form, feeling, perception, formation, consciousness. So when we begin to sit, you might notice that pretty soon there's thoughts coming and blah, 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 and before you know it, it's like watching a free movie. It's just replays. 
you know, or worrying about the past. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, if only I had said such and such, you know, or the future. Oh, God, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, I hope I have enough money. But in actual fact, right here, right here, there's none of that going on. So, for example, can everybody hear my voice right now? Okay, so raise your hand if you're suffering from something that's happening right in this moment. What's happening? Yeah, um, I heard a hearing, so... Ah, then I will talk louder. There, your suffering no. is ended. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And what, what's your, what was your suffering? Oh, my fury. Fury? Yeah. But is that happening right... I mean, what's it about? Is it here right now, the person you're feeling? In my head. In your head. Ah, see, it's not real then. That's <laughs> <laughs> a really good question, what is real, you know? And everything that we have in our head, you could sit there right now and be furious, but you're missing this. <laughs> and that's the whole point. That's what's so important about this. I mean... To actually be right here. And in the monastery, I was lucky enough um, to go in the monastery and be able to train for years, and it does help. But in my sangha here in the city, the Zenke Sangha, which means inconceivable joy, I offer full monastic training outside of the monastery because you can always be right here. You can always be right here. So I had the time there to try to work it down. So usually when you're sitting, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, usually when you're sitting, a thought comes to mind. Someone gave me a watch. Oh, I see. So a thought comes to mind, watch. There's form already. I can stop it there. I can notice that and just leave it there. Someone, say a person, comes to mind. I can leave it there. However, form usually goes into feelings. It's a lovely watch. Ooh, I wish I had that watch. So my perception, form, feeling, perception is, oh, what a lovely watch. Formation. Oh, watches like this should be on my wrist. Oh, I want a watch like this. Consciousness, I now have a lovely watch. I've gone. I'm not here anymore. So that's the whole point that they're talking about in the Heart Sutra. All five skandhas are empty. You're furious at nothing. There's nothing to be furious at right now. There's just, there isn't, you know, sorry, I could do something probably. <laughs> <laughs> but any feelings you're having right now, any thoughts you're having right now are simply distractions from just this. And that is the whole point of the, the Heart Sutra. It goes on and on. And because we get stuck on these things, you know, it goes no body, no mind, no colour, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch. And it's not that none of these things exist. I can touch things and, yeah, there's something here. But everything we think about it is extra. Everything we go into about it takes us away from just this. And there's nothing wrong, of course, with having thoughts coming through. My teacher says, thoughts coming to the station, you just don't have to get on the train. So that's the training for the end of suffering. But it doesn't have to be, I mean, catching your thoughts is actually kind of difficult. I remember when I first started practicing, they said, watch your thoughts. You know, catch one as it comes up. But they were like rabbits. They were all over <laughs> Oh, you know, I've been thinking like this. So you can do very simple with, like, glass of water meditation. Now, you know my memory. Did I ever tell you the story about can of soda meditation? Okay. You can always stop me if I'm repeating myself. <laughs> um... Catching your thoughts is not easy, and even following your breath, which is another traditional one, is not easy. But in actual fact, every single thing you can do, like elbow on the cushion, can be your meditation. And 
I'll freely admit I have uh, PTSD that I work with very well. In fact, it's one of my specialities now. And PTSD is when you get triggered by emotion into a thought or a series of thoughts you can't control and the emotions are all there with them, form, feeling, perception, boom, 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 boom. And so before I could work on the streets, I had to find ways of helping people de-trigger because a lot of people who are, of course, in very stressful situations have PTSD. So sometimes you have to be very careful to be safe because you don't want to set people up. So I was working with this lady in the women's shelter and um, she compulsively stole dresses. And she'd been doing it for years. She was in her early 50s and the place that she went to the most was Macy's and it gotten so bad that now when she walked in the door, they immediately turned around and walked her back out again because they knew and she knew that she'd just gone there. Be comfortable, by the way. It's all right to move along. Um, they knew that she'd just come in to steal dresses. So <laughs> I took her out for, um, to the cafe and I got her a can of soda and I said, I'm going to show you can of soda meditation. I said, so every time when you tell me, because she never could understand what this was all about, and most of us are acting out of old compulsions from the past. If you can truly be here, you're actually really here. You're not always reliving the past. So she couldn't stop it. So I said, every time you start to feel upset when you're telling me the story, concentrate on Kanasoda. That's your meditation. You can hear it, that sparkly sound. You can feel the cold. You can taste it. You know, So it's really involving of the senses. It's a very good focus. So she got it. She okay. So we started talking about it, and then she'd get upset, and then she'd hold the soda, and we did it for about twenty minutes, and finally she goes, "Oh my God! Oh my God! I got it! I got it!" I'm like, "What is it?" She said, "Well, when I was about eight, my father was going out, and then she got upset, you know, and she held the soda again um, to get me a birthday present, and it was going to be this lovely dress." And I, of course, you know what's coming, you know, my heart sank and I said, and what happened? And she said, well, we never saw him again. And so she had been living out that unremembered trauma all those years and it was too much to face until she learned how to do kind of soda meditation. And then she laughed and said, well, you know what's really funny, Jana? I don't even like dresses. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, am I doing this? That was the first thing I, I realised when I was a child, that I had a, a set of cognitive things that were different. My dad, when I was about five, I remember he, he worked shifts in a factory and he came in really early and put a watch on my wrist. And I looked at it and I hadn't got a clue what it said. I've never been able to read watches. It's so interesting. Anyway, I think we've still got ten minutes. Oh. <laughs> So I stop at quarter two, right? So we have time for, for other people. Okay, so that basically is the essence of the Heart Sutra. It's developing that ability to actually stay right here and to stay present so that you don't go kind of running off up the road and become all involved with thoughts and feelings and perceptions and formations and consciousness and so forth. And as I say, the rest of it is a kind of an, an unpacking of um, all of that. Just simply, it's very Indian, done in the repetition kind of method. You get so fed up reading it. It's like, oh, you know. um, so let me just pause for a wee moment, actually, right there. Are there any questions about that before we go on, before I go on to something else? Because... I know that there's so much... I had about six Dharma talks happened while we were sitting satsang. <laughs> Just to check in, is that clear? Because I really think of all the teachings, of all the ways that they're taught in, in the Buddhist practice to relieve suffering, I really believe that that's the heart of it right there. And we can train ourselves to do that staying present with everything that we're doing. I've worked in hospitals, I've worked in universities. There's no one 
They cannot learn how to stay present. And even when we do get towards the end of our lives, of course, everybody here is going to live forever, so we don't need to talk about it. But I used to be a caregiver for an elderly friend of mine, and she actually did develop Alzheimer's and went quite far away. And it was often upsetting. Della Gertz was her name. She was Suzuki Roshi's first student. Um, her and her friend Betty went to an Asian studies class in 1959 and they said, oh, there's a real Zen priest coming next week. You all have to come and meet him. And it was Suzuki Roshi who hardly spoke much English. And Della and her friend Betty um, invited him for a cup of tea and that's how the whole thing got started. And Della never said a wrong word to anyone or about anyone. I mean, way beyond anything I've ever been able to even think of achieving. Never said a wrong word about anyone. But as the Alzheimer's crept in, she began to feel dissatisfied and unhappy, even with the dishes I made her that she always liked. But the one thing that was there right up through the end, and also working in hospice, I can say the same thing. If you know how to stay present, with whatever it is you want to use for a focus, staying present, then actually she did that right up to the end, and I've known people that have done it right up to the end, and it always brought a smile to her face. Because every breath is a gift, as you know. There's no guarantee that we're going to get another one of those. So absolutely every moment right here is a gift. And I think we can get caught up in those thoughts, expectations about ourselves. Oh, we have to be this, and I have to achieve that, and oh, you know, oh, if only I could. And yet, right here, I mean, what could be better than us all sitting right here, right now? And that's one thing about being up in the country that it really helps me to remember when I get all caught up. I like to go out and sit, there's a little, well I call it a lake, they call it a pond, what do they know? So I go sit by the, the lake and suddenly, just sitting in the earth, and I, I put my hand out and grab a, a leaf or something, it all just falls away. So there's something just urging me to keep belaboring this point because it really is the end of suffering. Things can still drift in, but we don't have to go there with them all the time. And I remember when I was first training and my teacher said, oh, you must want everyone to love you. And I said, no, I just want to be okay for myself. Because often that's the person we're hardest on. I remember, I remember, good Lord, yes, I've been celibate for a decade now. I remember <laughs> when I had lovers and they would, you know, all be attracted and, oh, you're wonderful and all the rest of it. And my theme underneath the smile was always, ah, if only you knew. <laughs> if only you knew what I'm really like. You know, so many of us grow up and end up, especially, you know, if... God forbid we're gay, you know. <laughs> There's something not quite right. There's something not quite right. There's a great book, if by any chance you're holding on to any of that, called There's Nothing Wrong With You. I can highly recommend it. But being okay for ourselves is so important because that's the only way we can spread out that compassion and, and touch other people. Um... I did bring a point. Oh, did you see that old age thing I just did? I picked up the book and what did I do next? Look for my glasses. <laughs> I used to find it kind of distressing, you know, as I got older and, you know... Uh, my faculties have always been very sharp, um, in a way. But th this memory thing has been getting worse. And, and for a while it really bothered me that I couldn't remember people and can't remember where I'm going and things like that. And 
a kind of um, uh, sequencing things has become hard. I, I, it's hard to file things. It's just, it's just very difficult. And forgetting, you know, being in the middle of three different things and then forgetting what they all were. And then you write yourself a note and then you lose the note, you know. <laughs> and, it was like, and then it struck me I could either be caught up in that form, feeling, perception, formation. I'm getting old and stupid, you know. No. No, it's just this. It's just how it is. I'm still alive. My father didn't even get this old. You know, I've, I've told you before, I'm almost exactly like my father. Close, but no cigar. Um, and he didn't... He didn't... Uh, what a terrible, mind you. <laughs> but he didn't get out of his 50s, you know, so I do kind of appreciate uh, every moment. Are you still furious? <laughs> I could start the sex jokes now, we've got like five minutes left. <laughs> So this is one of my favourites. Um, <laughs> it is funny to have done such different talking engagements just in the last two days. Um, we could maybe turn the microphone off for a moment. I did a stop. <laughs> I love comedy, and in fact, um, Abbot Steve Stuckey, who died a while back, his, he heard me do stand-up Dharma comedy. <laughs> And he said, that's fantastic, you should take your show on the road, that's a great way to teach the Dharma. And I said, that's funny, people have been telling me to take my show on the road for years. <laughs> but it just, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, it is about perception, too. I used a couple of poems um, at the, the last two speaking events, particularly at the Sex Workers Festival, and I... I um, the mind is a lovely thing to play with, you know. And the mind is, after all, the largest sex organ. So, stunned silence. Heart Sutra. Okay, let's talk about the Heart Sutra. <laughs> but I used a poem that just played with people's perceptions. Um, I said it was the most erotic, disturbingly pornographic extremely sexual poem that I've ever heard and uh, I think it's in my bag out there but basically it's incomprehensible Scottish words and then the chorus line is hey Johnny lad cock up your beaver right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's that reaction that people have to you know <laughs> naughty words <laughs> Cock up your beaver and cock it through spruce. And it actually is a, a poem about going into battle, cocking up the beaver skin hat. Uh. <laughs> Somebody said to me, I read it to one of the young guys where I live, I said, I'm thinking of using this to start off my comedy at the Sex Workers Festival. And he listened to it, and of course, incomprehensible, and then, hey, Johnny lad, cock up your beaver. And he said... Is it about a hermaphrodite? <laughs> <laughs> that hadn't occurred to me in all the years. <laughs> so perception. <laughs> Stay, I mean, it's fun. Life gets funnier when you see those perceptions arising, but you don't have to go with them. I just want to encourage you. It's the whole message of the Heart Sutra. And that's what makes comedy such such a great, great fun. But it's all about playing with people's perceptions. I saw a, a comedian in Holland, I used to live in Amsterdam, and she did a 45-minute stand-up comedy spot. I hope you were not, I hope you're not shocked, Dan. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just suddenly realised, oh, we've got a lady back there. <laughs> and all she did for 45 minutes was say the word for penis, as many different words she could think of for penis, and that's all she did for 45 minutes. And people were falling off their chairs, <laughs> laughing and laughing. And so perception can be fun, but is the root of suffering? 
if you go off up that road, you'll get to misery soon enough without, you know, planning on it beforehand. So, um, here's one of my favourites that kind of expresses that, and then we can have some questions. It's called Only Breath, and of course, it's roomy. Um, hey, Johnny, live cock up your beaver. That is by Rabbi Burns, the well-known Scottish poet. Auld Lang Syne. He wrote Auld Lang Syne. It must be one of the most sung songs that nobody understands. <laughs> Does anybody know what Auld Lang Syne means? It's, um... Should old acquaintance be forgotten, never brought to mind. Should old acquaintance be forgotten, the days of old Lang Syne. Should old friends be forgotten and never brought to mind. Should old friends be forgotten and the days long gone by. Old Lang Syne, old, long, gone since. Old Lang Syne. So don't let's forget each other. You know, so it's the memory of days gone by and a reminder not to forget each other as we go on. So that's all I'm saying. Only breath. Not Christian or Jew or Muslim. Not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi or Zen. Not any religion or cultural system. I'm not from the East or the West. I'm not out of the ocean or up from the ground. I'm not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. I do not exist. I'm not an entity in this world or the next. Did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved, have seen the two worlds as one. And that one call to and know, first, last, outer, inner, only that breath, breathing, human being. Only breath. So. You are the best you that can possibly be. You are that perfect you. Don't let anyone else tell you differently. And this is a beautiful circle of love. It really is just such a, a honor and a pleasure um, to be with everybody. I just feel so at home when I'm with you all. It's wonderful. So thank you so much. And any questions or discussions, we can uh, have a little bit of time for that just now. Yes. Yes, would you be kind enough to, um, and thank you, it's always such a delight to have you. Uh, so the consciousness is one of the sense organs, one of the strongest, is that? Yeah, form, feeling, perception, formation, consciousness. And is, aware, is awareness... Would you describe awareness differently than consciousness? I would say that those are all the components of awareness. The first thing we become aware of, if we have a quiet bit going on, is something arising. And it is actually possible, some of you on the retreat studied the jhanas with me, that deep concentration... And that helps, if you can really deeply concentrate, to actually see that arise... And if you can, I found, in fact, I had to argue with people at the monastery. I found if you took the time, you could begin to see it arise. Like, as I said, they looked like rabbits, my thoughts, when I first started. They were all over the place. But eventually, I could see, like, the two ears coming up, you know. And then I could just see the ground shake. So there is a place you can, before form. But that, it does take a lot of work. I mean, this is not easy stuff. But if you can leave it, I mean, if I can just leave it at cup, that's peaceful. That Just that simple awareness of cup and nothing else. But it's very hard if you watch while you're sitting still 
And it's really hard just to leave that cup. It becomes blue cup, cold water, oh, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get the idea that you have to stop thinking. I made that mistake for quite a couple of years when I first started. I thought, well, it's the thinking that's disturbing me, and emotions of thoughts too, the reactions. That's what's disturbing me, so I have to stop it. But the mind produces thoughts like the body produces sweat. It's not innately disturbing, and there's no reality to it. I mean, I could sit here and think I look like Marilyn Monroe. Nothing. <laughs> but we get caught up in thoughts. They do seem real. It's like Muni bus meditation. Next time you get on the Muni bus, just look around. And you'll have judged everybody. <laughs> you don't know anybody, probably, but just looking at some, oh, I know what that kind of person's like. Oh, look, he's such and such. And that's just the mind's natural tendency. Read the Buddha's brain. That's the, the neurology of what we're doing. The Buddha's brain. Then the mind scans. We've been scanning for saber-toothed tigers for hundreds of years. And it's still a necessary function, but it does that by itself. You know, you don't have to go like this the whole time. You know, that's you moving into PTSD. <laughs> so the mind does that; it scans. But we can retrain it. It's just a matter of training. You know, we don't do a lot of training with it. So why not train it to sit, stay, roll over? You know? Are you saying the skandhas are always sequential? Not necessarily. I mean, it tends to go that way, but it is so fast that they do kind of smoosh in together. I mean, if you can get it down to see in just the form first. You know. People tend to think emotions are first. I find that really interesting. But you reacted to something. You can't just, you know, although sometimes it feels like emotions just arise. And once again, it's a matter of being with, not suppressing. Like anger is really strong. Fury is a really strong emotion. But we don't want to just go firing off with it, you know. But take that energy and use it. That's power. That's powerful. Um, Amer Americans often have a hard time dealing with anger. It seems like, <laughs> we, don't, we can't deal with that. That's negative. But it's actually just a strong energy. How are we? Oh, we should probably stop. Well, thank you once again. It's just been a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, announcements? Any announcements? I'll make the Donna announcement. The Donna Bowl is, uh, will be going around the coast, and Donna is the word for generosity, and um, we ask, uh, the suggested donation is $10. But if you can't do that, then that's okay. Uh, any other announcements? The host? On May 24th, uh, instead of the open discussion, we're going to have what's called the Open Zonka Days. We've had them in the past. We haven't for a long time, but it's a day when you get to see, you know, the, the parts behind the screen, uh, who does what in the various groups, and sort of, as one person put it, the kind of magic of how it seems to keep happening, it's been, you know, GBF has been going for probably since 1992 that we completed, mm. and um, it's pretty amazing, so if you're one of the volunteers, definitely come, and if you're just part of the song, I want to, you know, when I first saw it, I was so, like, proud to be a part of all that this organization is and does, so it's a great time to be with the song. Oh, and just to say where I'm staying, um, you're always welcome to come by and visit. There's just hundreds of acres to go wandering in. You don't even have to talk to me if you don't want to. Um, there's deer and turkeys and all kinds of things. And, and chickens. Huh? And the chickens, of course, not to be missed. Um, where are you staying? 
Pardon? Where it's Jikoji oh, yes. uh, Retreat Center. And if you want a, like a night away, um, you can always be my guest. You just have to let me know in advance without paying anything. Like so um, you're all warmly invited. My next stand-up comedy uh, stint is May 28th. I think it's at the Center for Sex and Culture. <coughs> and it's part of the Gina Gold um, Comedy Show. Uh, it's called TMI. <laughs> might, might be a reason for you not to come <laughs> and the title of it is Bitches Be Tripping so <laughs> you're all invited to that <laughs> it's all the Dharma of course. <laughs> I actually wore my robes on, for the first event <laughs> <laughs> took them off halfway through but let's not go there <laughs> I said as you get older you know, it used to be people would shout take them off, take them off and as you get older they're shouting put them on <laughs> anyway oh I'm the host <laughs> and uh, the usual food that you expect including 100% uh, GMO gluten, right. <laughs> <laughs> disguised as hummus. Uh, we're not having any chicken salad today. <laughs> and I'll be passing around the town bowl. There is uh, hot water for tea. Wash your cups. And people will meet at the door after the social time to go to lunch. truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.